you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victory and Marty are on tap to help us navigate the show. That's what I'm saying. Um, just Wait. based on the information that I have available, Marty? unless it's... Is it J-Mac? I see J-Mac in there. Okay. Well, I got a link. I don't know. Not from J-Mac, so I don't know. I, I mean, Unless I guess he, he's, uh, he's, got a, he's got people with a certain set of skills that he's like, <laughs> he just dispatches I them mean, and tells them, hey. Changed. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry, okay, that I'm, I'm working from a very limited <laughs> set of information, or a limited set of facts. All I don't right. know. Anyway, sorry. We can, we can try it again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Funny, this family is so funny. Um, I, I, <laughs> I said to the toddler mm-hmm. um, as I was scooping him up to bring him to bed, kind of trying to make it fun because it's not, and he because he doesn't like to go. So I was trying to make it fun. And remember, I, I scooped him up. We mm-hmm. were all in the living room. You, you remember this? And mm-hmm. I said, "Uh oh!" And then JD said, "Aaron the Addison, no son, <laughs> th- this this is a legitimate uh oh. Right. This is, this, is a, this was a real I mean, like. Here know, we go. You know, a real uh oh on this show too. But no know. one's getting in trouble with this. Though. Yeah, but we're gonna talk about stuff that uh oh. That is very true. <laughs> that 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 is indeed yeah. very true, and it does happen on a regular basis. Yeah. Okay, um, could you? Huh? What? Sorry. <laughs> this is why you don't read, but it was J Mac, so I figured it was important. Text message, but autocorrect grabbed him. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> when we all get closer, I'll share the autocorrect. <laughs> you got to have the people that you work with that you call your coworkers, you have to have a really good relationship with them for a number of reasons. <laughs> included in those reasons would be autocorrecting where Man. they say things to you that they, that's not, whoa, that's not, <clears throat> excuse me. That's not what I meant to say. So anyway, <laughs> welcome to the program. This is Aaron the Addison's on American family radio today. I want to talk about education and America's future. And, and I, I really want to kind of frame this conversation around what we do now in education and how it really will tell us where we end up as a country. Mm. And I think looking back to where we are now, we've already seen that this is true, that the way we educate our children, Mm -hmm. excuse me, in this country has huge bearing on the outcome of the country, like where the country actually ends up. And just coupling this with a lot of things that we've been talking about already, we've already been discussing how much people's, personal, you know, identifications have really just fueled everything that they do, you know, that this is the highest expression of who they are. It's just what they feel, their Mm. thoughts and all of those things. And I continue to think about this and just really ponder the effects of this. And you and you see it everywhere. You see it in 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 every like sector uh, where many of our lives are affected all across Mm -hmm. the board. You see uh, people's self-expression sort of taking 
uh, precedent over what they're supposed to be doing in any given moment, any mm-hmm. given setting, um, any given job description. It's like their personal expression almost becomes paramount. Like that's, I got to get that in there somehow. Mm-hmm. And I was reading this one article. I'm going to kind of start. I've got several articles that I want to work through. I'm going to start with uh, one that I thought would be the last article, but I, I kind of want to start here and then kind of work my way back. You you didn't know that. I didn't need to share that. Sorry to the <laughs> listener. They're like, just read the article. <laughs> but first, the setup. So when, and I, I want you to just think about this. We've kind of mentioned this before, but I want to drill down just a little bit more. I want you to think about this. When you were in school, think about the number of facts that you knew about your teachers. Mm. Not many. Right. right <laughs> exactly. You Probably you could pull up something I mean, about maybe one or two man, yeah. on one hand. <laughs> like, think about the number of facts that you knew about your teacher. So you mean like, like that personalizing, you know. Yes. Like I didn't just, even know who they were married to man, any of that stuff. Like, if they were married, if they were you married, had no idea. No, and when I didn't you care. say day to day, you mean multiple <laughs> teachers. You're not talking about one person. But you, you didn't know. You know what I'm and saying? I didn't care. And you didn't care. <laughs> I really didn't. And it it never really entered your mind, nor did it have any impact on what you were learning. No. You remember that? That, wasn't, like you that just, wasn't pertinent to me no, getting a good nobody grade. Nobody cared. And, yeah, no. And frankly, it was awkward. And, and I say this with much respect to teachers who teach in a classroom where you've got, watch this, more than six kids. So any, <laughs> so mad respect for teachers. Okay. When you ran into your teacher... In the grocery store, you oh, were frankly man. embarrassed. You, you were kind of like, wrong oh, context. You, you eat food? <laughs> right. You, you know where the grocery store is? Like, you just, man. you know, it was just weird. Like, you just didn't, you didn't, I hate weird. to say this in, yeah. in this way, but it's like they almost were not like people like you and, and your <laughs> classmates. Or you go, you come here too? <laughs> they existed on like a pedestal almost, like a plane that was just sort of, you know, yeah. not normal. Yeah. And you know what? We are better because that was true. Mm. Because we understood that in the context of the classroom, mm-hmm. there was one set of expectations mm-hmm. that that everybody agreed upon. And that one set of expectations was that with as much and, and somebody's gonna argue with me over this, and guess what? You might you would be right because I I'm internally arguing with myself right now <laughs> with what I'm about to say, and I haven't even said it yet. Okay. <laughs> What I'm what I'm trying to communicate here is not going to be 100% precise, and you'll understand why when I say it. We expected a certain level of neutrality in the classroom, and the reason I say a certain level is because as I survey as an adult, mm-hmm. as I survey what we did learn in school, mm-hmm. I believe, at least for me, at 43 years old, all of the education that I had, I never went to a private school. Mm-hmm. I was never educated at home. I never had any alternative to the public American school system mm-hmm. from from uh, kindergarten up to uh, secondary education. Right. That would be college. Right. Secondary education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. Whatever. I never it was all public. <laughs> never went to a private institution. Um, I now know that it wasn't neutral. The education that I got. Right. The education now, you know, that I got. Yeah. I now know but that. While you're in it. You, you As know. a kid, I didn't know that. No. No. And and it wasn't blatant. You know no. what I mean? It wasn't like, it wasn't one of these things, or at least. It wasn't like it not is to today. Me. Yeah, you, I mean, it's way more blatant. So the point that I'm making <laughs> here is that we actually fared better because people didn't make much of themselves in the classroom. 
Mm-hmm. And we actually fared better because there was certain like agreed upon convictions that like kind of define the culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't run the risk of um, sorry that Jimmy gets in trouble so much in the classroom. Right, illustrations. Johnny, Johnny. Okay. Or Johnny. they both are bad <laughs> kids. Okay. <laughs> but you didn't run the risk of like Johnny taking his classmates pencil and the teacher saying, well, because equity, Johnny, you, you, Guys, reality talk here. Like, (laughs) right? No, the teacher said, "You just took that. That was wrong. Give it back. Give it back. Give it back." It was just we just all understood this, right? Right. But the point that I'm making here, and it's interesting that an article like what I'm about to share with you, and this is from the Daily Wire, that it even has to make headlines. But it has to make headlines because of where American education, public education has descended, where we are now. Right. Mm. There is no there is no real expectation of any type of neutrality, whether real or faked. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> pretend it like there's not there's no expectation mm. that there is neutrality. It is all just one narrative and, and it's securely embraced by those who peddle it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why this is very interesting in Pennsylvania. uh, This article, the Central Bucks School Board in Pennsylvania just instituted a policy banning teachers from expressing personal political opinions with their words or with visual elements in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was it was decided six, three, a vote six, three. Um, that policy 321 would be amended to prohibit teachers from displaying items such as pride flags, Black Lives Matter signs, along with MAGA hats or any other items that would be considered politically influenced. Mm -hmm. So as I was reading this, my thought was, (laughs) I not only did I not know that my teachers like went to grocery stores Mm -hmm. and bought actual food right you know you know what i mean (laughs) to me they were always just snacking on a bag of chips at the desk when we were having like quiet time like it just you know but i also didn't know how they voted you know they were republican i didn't know what their convictions were on those things like it just never came up in conversation and when i tell you i went to public school I went to public school. I didn't go to like these private uppity schools that Will the Great went Hey, to. I just went to one. No, it just whatever. It's elementary school. Private uppity schools. Okay. <laughs> I went to <laughs> I I went I went to public schools and and I'm the the point that I'm trying to make here is that as our school system has changed, it is made up of people. And the reason that the school system has changed is because the people that comprise the school system have also changed. And if this is true then we have to look at those people who make up the school system to understand where this ultimately goes mm. or even to ask the question, what's the ultimate end? Like what, what is the desired outcome? Yeah. Not just where it goes, but right. what is the intended outcome? Right. And I will tell you, and, and I, I say this not from the futility of my thinking because my mind is renewed actually. So I, I say this as one who is prayerful, as one who is really steeped in scripture And as one who is observing the culture, I believe that the intended outcome is what we are seeing now. It is fueling what we notice and and what we observe in the church as the great falling away, Mm -hmm. where you have generations of people who um, had, and I hate to use this word, but their ancestors were Christian. (laughs) Okay. Right. So their ancestors (laughs) were Christian. 
But they don't even they don't really get into all of that. Mm. They disagree with their parents and their grandparents. They mm-hmm. sit across from from Mama and Papa, and then the, you know Mama and Papa start talking, and 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 the grandkids are just like, "Who are you?" <laughs> They're like, all of a sudden, the grandparents become bigots extraordinaire. You know right, what I mean? They're just like, right. "Oh my goodness!" And 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 why? Because there has been this indoctrination that has happened throughout their education. Mm-hmm. And so the desired outcome is that you create the kind of nation that you want to live in. Mm. You create the kind of nation that is consistent with your ideology, mm. with your philosophy, your outlook on life. And this is where we have found ourselves. And and can I just say, this is, um, it, just for the picture, the word picture here, this is the cauldron into which we are sprinkling our kids Right. We're, wow. we're putting our kids in this cauldron of of these ideas and we expect that they will emerge from this cauldron um, with their faith intact. With with <laughs> yeah. what we value. Right. As righteousness. Do we really expect that? I do believe we do expect that. Yes. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> I 100 percent believe we expect it and if it's not expressed on the front end that we expect to produce followers of jesus christ while putting them in the world in indoctrination camps in indoctrination camps if it's not expressed on the front end and i would use that as an indication yes okay that's we say it on the front end my kid is going to come out as a follower of christ then it is expressed on the back end with the shock and awe that they didn't I can't, I can't believe. Then who do we blame? The church? Or we yeah, see, I don't, I don't think, not in every us. instance, I don't think you can lay that at the, at the feet you of can, the church. You can, but I'm saying I think that somebody has, has to take the blame. And yeah. usually we, we'll look at, oh, the church didn't do this. Right. Well, that's but not the right. Church, the, the, and, and when I say the church, now look, I'm, I'm not talking about the church, capital C. I'm talking about what people define as, so the youth pastor didn't do his job. That's what I mean. Right. right. Okay. Right. That's usually the scapegoat. And, and that's the accusation. When the youth pastor is going, how can I combat what the kid is immersed in all throughout the week when you give me 45 minutes on a Wednesday night and you also want me to squeeze in that pizza and like a, right. a smoke Make them have, thing? They need to have fun. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> like the, the youth pastor is, how can we combat this? Right. Right. Um, I think uh, Iowa is is a state to watch. And I think what what the Iowa governor is doing there is very important. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about why turning our focus to education in America cannot be overlooked. Aaron the Addisons will be right back. I got what you need, I promise. Don't hold back, you feel good, honest. Leave your frustrations, no expectations. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? I got what you need, no worries. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's I Got What You Need Social Club featuring Jordan Felice. What else do they say? 
Hmm? Okay, there we go. I just, I just, <laughs> <laughs> just, I was like, you know, these, these, you know, ambiguous songs, I mean, which I should have given a, a, a chance. It, you can't know it in like 30 seconds. Yeah, I'm only playing this a bumper. I, you know I know, what I'm saying? You I know, I know. Have mercy on me, <laughs> a sinner. I, this is the problem that, this is the grievance that our kids would have with me and in, in, in the car listening to it. It's like, give it a chance. Give it a chance. I'm just, but, but like, you know, right out of the gate, if, if it's kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm like, next. Yeah, that is, a, it was the, the the chorus or whatever you call it to the song. Okay. You know, so it wasn't the. All right. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, Jordan Felice. No, I just, I just, you know, my thing is just let me know, let me know right out of the gate who you're talking about. You know what I mean? Like. Jesus. Yes, say it. Say it. Some people That's say what don't I, say that name. Say it another name. Anyway. All right. Uh, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I know. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. <laughs> Today, education and America's future. Education, America's future. I was reading an article that um, is a commentary, and this guy was talking about um, getting his hands on a copy of Eric Metaxas's uh, biography of mm. Bonhoeffer, Pastor, mm-hmm. Martyr, Prophet, Spy. Is that the book that we listened to in the car? I, I can't remember. I feel like I, I was yes. listening to this book with yes, you. Yes, that's a long book. We hadn't. It, yeah. No, we didn't finish it. No, not at all. Next it's like time 40 we're something on our hours. Way to Bismarck, North Dakota. <laughs> then we can. Yeah, Bismarck, it's a long North book. Okay. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, then we can we can get it all in. Anyway, as he was um, referencing something that he is reading in the book, he decided to get his hands on this book and read it because he, he felt like he knew very little about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you know, he picked up a copy of Metaxas's book and he started reading it. And I thought, man, this sounds familiar. And I, I, I thought it was something that we had been listening to because the information that he chose to focus on was pretty familiar. And he, he writes this, this uh, opinion piece written by a man named John Miltimore. John Miltimore, I found this over at the stream. And he talks about the soul and the spirit of the Bonhoeffer household. Mm. And you'll see how this relates to education very quickly here. I'm going to pick up reading uh, his his piece here. It turns out Bonhoeffer was not the only remarkable person in his family. Carl and Paula Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer's parents, Mm -hmm. brought eight children into the world in the span of a decade. Dietrich was born on February 4th, 1906, minutes before his twin sister, Sabine. He was the family's fourth son and sixth child. Many of his siblings would go on to do remarkable things. But one of the first things that jumped out at me in the book is the powerful character of Bonhoeffer's mother, whom one cousin called, quote, the soul and spirit of the house, end quote. A devout woman, she had a deep-seated and impressive distrust of the German public school system, (laughs) refusing to allow her children to attend this school system at a very young age. She was openly distrustful of the German public schools and their Prussian educational methods. She subscribed to the maxim that Germans had had their backs broken twice, once at school and once in the military, and she wasn't about to entrust her young children to the care of other less sensitive than she during their earliest years. Mm. So this really grabs my attention, right? Because this is one of those things where it seems like very basic. You, you would be reading this in a biography and, and you might just kind of keep skimming over this. But these are all of the things that shape us. Like when you think of the usefulness of a man or the usefulness of a woman for the glory of God, there are all of these small 
seemingly, seemingly small choices that their parents or their caregivers make that affect the outcomes of their life, right? Like they, it, it either makes them more useful mm-hmm. or less useful. It creates greater obstacles or removes ob- obstacles. And as a Christian, we think in terms of living for the glory of God, that God would get the greatest use out of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I find it really interesting that Dietrich Bonhoeffer's mother mm-hmm. was like, no, I'm going to educate them at home. They're, they're far too young. And so she began their education by trying to lay a foundation of faith in the mm-hmm. life of her children. Yeah. Now, just pause and think about that. At the earliest point that our kids' cognitive ability begins to increase, the tradition that we have in America is that we, their parents mm-hmm. or primary caregivers, and mm-hmm. I'm speaking specifically people of faith here, but this applies to everyone. I mean, what, over 90%. We send our kids away. As soon as their ability to process and to reason in like coherent ways, you know, where we, where we really should be um, very careful to make sure that we that we are fortifying them with Christian values, we send them somewhere else where at best, now listen, and this is going to be confusing because in the beginning I made neutrality sound good, but now come into this context, where at the earliest point that their cognitive abilities increase and they're able to think with great complexity, we send them to a place where at its best it is neutral on the issues of God, right? Worst case scenario, it's openly hostile. Right. As I look back on my education in America, as I stand now, mm-hmm. I would say that my education was in many ways hostile to God mm-hmm. because it begins with the belief and the conviction that he's irrelevant here. Right. He has no place here. Like there's no room for God here. And indeed, this is the type of environment that so many of us matriculated through. Like we, we just we, this was our process. Right. But now in America, it's far worse than that. It's far worse than that. So this writer, he says that education freedom begins when government compulsion ends. And I was really intrigued, you know, in, in reading his piece here, because I think that there's something that we have overlooked in our understanding about education in America that Really, and I'm not trying to turn this into a proverb, but just to say it the way that I process it, I really believe that he who controls education controls the nation, Mm. controls the outcome of the nation. And why? Because leadership is influence. So if you are trying to lead people, you've Mm. got to sustain your influence in their life. And when we think of our children, we think of who has the greatest amount of influence. Right. Like who has, excuse me, sustained influence in their life? Where do they spend the most of their time? I do a whole presentation where I talk about or ask the question, who's got next? And what I'm asking that question is you can determine who's got next, who has the reins of the next generation based on the amount of time that they have over that generation. And so I do a whole breakdown where I break down the amount of hours in our kids, like K-12 years. And then how much time do they spend in the various like sectors of their life? Like how much time do they spend in church? How much time do they spend sleeping? How much time do they spend at home? How Mm -hmm. much time do they spend in school? And the lion's share of the time is spent in school. Their K-12 hours. Yeah. So much of it is spent in school. And and the thing about it, 
the thing you're talking about, we've talked about before. Dictators know this. They know this. <laughs> Why did Hitler yes. have the youth, you know, thing? Why? So I mean, it's, it's like they understand that you can be phased out, you older generation, but if we want to get our ideas through, we're going we're gonna to target those who are going to have potentially longer lives, like, exactly. you know, a longer time to practice what we That's want right. them to do. And so it's, it's really crazy how the world really sees this so clearly, but the church, it seems like we're blind to. We're behind on this. Yeah, and we're we behind be. on it. And, and I'm going to tell you, we didn't, we didn't know, and I, I want to be generous in this, we didn't know that we should fight for how our kids are educated here, not collectively. There have been pockets. Now, there, there are pockets that are growing, but for a long time, when you talk about 98% of kids in America going through the public school at one time, that was the number. That tells me, myself included, I will put myself in that number. I didn't know that I should be fighting to have that influence or that it would even be a fight. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking in terms of the neutrality that I experienced as I went through school. Like mm-hmm. we, we, didn't, we didn't know that we should be fighting to have that place of influence in our kid's life. And into that lack of knowledge has come every evil desire. Mm-hmm. We want your children. Right. We'll, we'll convert your children. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, we're coming for your children. And so blatant and overt now they sing about it. Right? <laughs> right. So what I'm trying to suggest here is that one, we have to know that this is something we should desire. We should desire to have the lion's share of time in our kids' lives. We should desire, as Bible-believing Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should desire to have the greatest influence in their life. There are options. There are things that can be done. This is what this article unpacks, uh, this this opinion piece unpacks. And then I want to look at another article that's looking at the governor of Iowa and, and what she's doing, Kimberly Reynolds. And, and I, I think it's really interesting. And I think, you know, increasingly there will be more people who will agree that we should decide where our kids are educated. Mm. Why? Because we are seeing the effect of not having the ability to make that decision. Yeah. Think about it. Like it's, it's, it's any type of it's monopoly. It's monopoly. Like if, if you own every school Mm -hmm. and then you can require that every kid has to pass through the school that you own, Mm -hmm. what's to control your content? Right. Right. Like who who's policing your content? Who's telling you that you can't. In fact, you see this. This is a powerful presentation that we see coming from the American education system. That is the kids actually don't belong to the parents. (laughs) When, when, when they get out of the car in that carpool line and when that door slams, they're ours. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, Mickey, but I don't know if that's, if that's really the case. Okay. Well, I'll go back to this piece, but let me bring in, um, Let me bring in another article to make my point here. This story is out of Maine. um, And I hope that I say the name of this town right in Maine. Uh, Demariscotta, Demariscotta, Maine and Demariscotta, Maine. I'm just going to go with that. That's the best I can do. A social worker at a public school was accused of secretly giving a breast binder to a 13 year old student without her mother's consent. Wow. Interesting thing is that the social worker only has a conditional license to practice in Maine. I'm not really sure about all the inner workings of that. Um, But the mother only learned about her 13-year-old kid 
having received this breast binder from a social worker at the school, okay, uh, because she found it in her daughter's things. Mm. Now, what's also interesting about this, in my opinion, this could just be me, but the social worker is a man by the name of Samuel Roy. And after only two weeks of meeting with this 13-year-old girl, he determined that she should have a breast binder. Now, for our listeners who are like, Miki, I don't really, I'm sorry, I don't really know what that is. Well, that is the practice that girls who believe, who believe that they're boys and who are uncomfortable in their bodies, that is the practice by which they wear these chest binders to flatten their chest. Now, I have a, a number of problems with this, a number of problems. But there's one that I think even like, you know, people who don't fear God could have a problem with. That is, why is a man meeting with a girl at school and helping her determine that she is transgender and then providing her with a chest binder? Like, this is just unheard of. Mm. But but what I, well, it is heard of, right? Like, it's, it would have been unheard of. But what this says is that your children belong to us. Mm. When they're here, they belong to us. Now, let me turn to, let me, let me stay on this story here for a little bit. Because when the mom raised concern, the school board actually had a response to the mom's concern. All right. So, so Amber, Amber Levine is the mother okay, of the 13-year-old. And listen to this very carefully. Her daughter attends Great Salt Bay Community School in Damariscotta, Maine. And this mother claimed during a school board meeting last week that the social worker told her daughter to keep the breast binder a secret from her mother. So the man who is providing the social work service for the girl who is 13 met with her and decided that she was a candidate for a breast binder, but that she shouldn't tell her mother. Okay. Levine found the breast binder in the daughter's bedroom a few weeks before the school board meeting. School superintendent Lindsay Johnson appeared to address the mother's allegations and, listen, defended the school's actions in a public statement on Monday. Defended the school's actions, noting that the school board's, quote, now, the school board's first priority is always to provide a safe, welcoming, and inclusive educational environment for all students and staff. Hmm. Okay, so the school is no longer working with the parent for what is best for the child. The school no longer assumes that the parent knows. In mm -hmm. fact, the parent has no idea. The school knows. Like, the school like, knows. Mm -hmm. The school becomes the great and powerful Oz. Right. Making all of the decisions, not needing to contact the parent, because why? The parent is a threat to the student. So the school begins with the premise that the parent is an automatic threat to the student. And in order to protect the student and the student's privacy, the parents must be excluded. This is not the same, I'm going to send a note home to your mother type of school that you grew up in. Yeah. This is not getting on the school bus with a note pinned on your back.
so that your mom could take it off when you got home and read it and learn anything. Nope, this is not that environment. This environment is full-blown. They belong to us, and you're in the way. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner we can get, a, get on with indoctrination. But there are options. And more and more eyes are opening to the reality that we're losing our kids, and we're losing our kids because they are being taken in broad daylight. All right, Aaron the Addisons, we'll grab the break, and we'll be right back. Nice. Amen. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. You understand, I'm Miki. You understand what she's saying? I mean, I... Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. What? I, because, yeah. well, oh. at least the version that I sing is, yeah. God, I run into your arms. Right? Like, it's right. captivated. Yeah. Right? Overwhelmed. This okay. is Overwhelmed by Melanie Waldman featuring Palace. Palace used to be a part of BSAC, but... Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Does he eventually rap in that? Is hey, he a singer? He's is rapping singer, now. Is he? <laughs> Can we hear some of that? Yeah. I'm just curious. Okay, I think I like it. Yeah. I think I like it. I think I like it too. Okay. Right. I think I like it. I'm in. I'm in on that one. <laughs> All right. Very good. Welcome back to Ernie Addison <laughs> on American Family Radio. Music is a big deal. We don't understand. Um, well, no, I'm going to save that. Maybe tomorrow, Lord willing. I have some thoughts and some ideas, some conversations that we're having with our kids about music, about what they consume, mm-hmm. what they listen to, even among Christians, by the way, by the way. And so um, I, it may be a conversation that we need to bring to air. And so maybe okay. tomorrow, maybe that's a maybe that's a Friday show. I want to do a side by side comparison. I did this with um, our oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently got to take a long drive with our oldest, and she was introducing me to some music. And she introduced me to a song that was amazing. It was a beautiful song, and it really is kind of where this generation is now. But she, in this song, the artist, and I won't give it away because we'll play it tomorrow. The artist pointed to the hope that we have in Jesus, even while acknowledging, I don't have every answer that you're going to need, but she knows who does. Mm. And so I was like, I was like, man, Mariah, compare this song to the other song, which we'll play tomorrow, that says, I don't know what's going on with you, but I'll just cry with you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to. Oh, I know you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Wow. So, so what I'm saying is, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Mm. Right. So so we have people who come to us and they're hurting. We are not like the world that we just sit and and allow people's confusion to like, you know, explode in front of us. No, we want to bring light, light into darkness. Mm-hmm. We we want to make straight those things that are crooked. We want to tell the truth about who God is. And, and yet we're singing songs that make us just like the world. The world is leaning into their anxiety and their depression and all of the emotional issues that they have. And we're singing songs about leaning in with them on that. No, that's, you're missing it. Okay, that's tomorrow, Lord willing. So make sure you listen. Um, some of these people will probably have to say, hey, forgive me, I like you overall, but I don't like this song. 
All right. And so I just tell you that now. I'm not trying to take any of your artists away. I just that, think we need that, to hold people And that's usually the way it is. This particular song on an album, it's like this one that's song. It. Why did it, you know? Anyway. One song. Yeah, sometimes two. One song, though, generally sometimes speaking. Yeah. You know, and the kids, our kids are, if, if your kids are like our kids or your grandkids, they're always kind of jump, trying to jump to the verdict. They're just like, so what are you saying? Is he out? <laughs> Right. You just tell me what. Is just tell me the what island? the rules are. Is he out? You know. Is he, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Survivor. So we had to. You unfold the paper. <laughs> Darren Wells. I had to vote you off because you have this song afraid with you, and it's not. Oh, I'm sorry. Man, we should do that. We that's should funny. do a we, Christian look, music survivor. Because, that's funny because who gets was, to stay? I was listening to that artist, Darren Wells, and and Nathaniel. Like, we can't listen to that song. I was like, what song are you talking about? What happened? And so I think it's the song you're talking about. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, what, what, what does he say? Like, what happened? And so then I had to listen closely, you know. It's one of those things. But Nathaniel it's was like. It's not hopeful. He picked it up. He it's like, not hopeful. Yeah. It's, it's a Christianized darkness. And I know, I know you can't do that, guys. I'm not, I'm just, but that's just. <laughs> but he would say, see, that. I wish we could uh, interview these people about these songs and say, what did you, what were you trying to convey here? Because I, I would think some of these people would say, well, it's just identifying with, you know, someone's pain, you know. So like, how would that answer be different from what we already know? We mourn with those who know. mourn, huh? Mm, that has a context. <laughs> that, that, has a, that has a context. <clears throat> okay, Feelings. no, tomorrow. Nothing more than. Nothing more, right. <laughs> All right, we got to get Trying back to forget mine. Here we go. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's. This is Thursday. Tomorrow, tune in for much of a repeat of what you just heard and just maybe expand it a little bit. Um, I think Friday would make for a good day to do that. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about education, the future of America, and why we have to care about education. Listen, even if you don't have kids in school, if you don't have school-age kids or college-age kids, if you don't have school-age grandkids or whatever, if, if you feel like uh, this doesn't really apply to me, I promise you it absolutely does because the outcome affects everyone in this country. Mm. The way our kids are educated affects the entire nation, guys, and that's by design. That's mm-hmm. why we have these bottlenecks, sort of like the last baptism, right? <laughs> Everybody's got to pass through a certain baptism so they can be affiliated with like the, <laughs> the collective order, Okay. And, and that's what we're seeing happen in our schools. But there are a few people and there are a few states that are really picking up on this mm. and saying, you know what? We never should have had a one size fits all approach to education because there is no way that one school, just because your house is in that district, can meet <laughs> right. the needs of, right. of every. Right? right. Like, think about how yeah. we decide where kids are educated yeah. and how they're educated as if they're all just robots. We've got, they, we've got want six to be. kids. <laughs> they do want, well, and man, that, what a great point you're making. <laughs> yeah, because the education is not based off the belief that kids are robots. The education is based off the desire to make robots. Mm. Oh, wow, you just touched on something incredible there, Will. Well, wow. you know, that's you know, what it is. Sometimes, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, just the, <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah. My goodness. Um <laughs> Man, I just just for a moment, just pause on that, like because because I I'm even being generous in saying that they presume that all the kids are robots, but it's not. It's actually more sinister than that. The desire is to actually make robots. It's to make these like you know um, assembly line people. Mm. They all come oh. out thinking and doing the same thing. same thing. They all behave. It's like a boom boom, and then move them on the conveyor belt. Boom boom, move them. And and what I'm saying is, I know even in my own family. And, and you can look at this all across the nation. 
man, we have different kids. Hmm. Like we have six different people and they all learn differently. Now, I don't yet know what Timmy's learning style is. <laughs> so um. let's say I'll say the five. OK, <laughs> they all learn differently yeah. and I have to tailor my approach to how I teach them so that I don't frustrate them. But we say in the public education system, I don't care how you learn. This is how I teach. Hmm. I and so what's the objective? The objective is not that because I'll tell you, my conviction is, man, I want my kids to understand what I'm teaching. Right. Not just say they took the class. Right. That means nothing to me. You just take the class. I want you to understand what I'm teaching. Okay. To Iowa we go. Governor Kimberly Reynolds is determined to see her ambitious education agenda over the finish line. She's in her second full term there in Iowa, and she has proposed a package of reforms that includes giving families access to the state's portion of pre-pupil spending to use at the schools of their choice and creating work-based learning opportunities, teacher apprenticeships, and tutoring programs for struggling students. This is, this is the kind of measures you take when you actually care about the kid learning. You understand when, when you actually care about the student, these are the types of measures that you take. This is what you propose. Right. So she addressed Iowa and the condition of the state address on Tuesday night. And among many things, it really seemed like education was front and center. I just grabbed one clip here. Or Will the Great just grabbed one clip here <laughs> that I thought was important for you to hear. But the majority of her communication was around this issue. Around how are we going to educate our kids? What assumptions are we making about our kids and how have we gotten it wrong? How do you have states that are spending far less on educating kids with better results? And then she specifically named Florida. All right. This is clip one. If we're really going to make sure that every child has a quality education, then we have to set aside this us versus them mentality because it's not about whose team you're on. It's not about your politics, it's not about you, and it's certainly not about me. It's about our children. We either want to give every child a chance to succeed or we don't. So tonight, I'm announcing a comprehensive education reform package that will focus on improving education for all children. It starts by making sure that every family can make the choice that this teacher and mother made to send their child to the school that best fits their needs. We have incredible public schools filled with amazing and dedicated teachers. My daughter is one of them. But every child is an individual who deserves an education tailored to their unique needs. And parents are in the best position to identify the right environment. Now, let me tell you, I respect this governor so much. There, there's so much to respect about what she desires to do. And let me open the phone lines. We may be able to squeeze in one or two calls. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Education and America's future. Why do I respect Governor Reynolds so much? And even in just that clip, you could hear it. She says, we have great public schools. We've got great teachers. My daughter's a public school teacher. But this idea that every kid should just automatically go into the public school system as a default 
is wrong and it has not served children well. Now, do you do you understand what kind of care you actually have to have for children to have a child who is a public school teacher mm-hmm. and yet still say, but you know what? The public school is not the automatic default for every child. She's every parent fight just, on her hands. Oh, my goodness. For sure. Because she already did. Actually, he's trying to yeah, mess up the assembly line like that's exactly they can't right. give that up. <laughs> that's exactly right. And look, indeed, this is the fight. That is all across the country. Whenever you see the fight for educational options, I worked with an organization for a short time in trying to awaken parents to, to, to knowing, just knowing that you should fight for educational options. At the time, we were still educating our kids at home. Like, it, it was still our conviction. Mm-hmm. But I thought, but the, the effect of all of this matters to all of us. Whether or not, so if you're a homeschooler, if you're a private schooler, and you say, well, I don't have my kid in public school, I don't know that it really matters if we have options because I'm going to do this anyway. No, it does matter because when you present people with the opportunity to send their kid where they really want their kid to go without the financial impediments, okay, and I'm going to say something else, and this, this is not so much talked about, not only without the financial impediments, but also without the, the, um, I don't know if you want to call it psychological impediments, but maybe the the thought that I can't do this and really educate a successful child. Hmm. Let me tell you something really quickly here, and then we'll go to the phone lines. If you change your definition of success, you can. Yeah. And if you keep your definition of success, you can. Hmm. What I am saying is this. First and foremost, what is a successful outcome for educating our kids? If it's not first and foremost that they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's not the first goal, if that's not the first aim, then you really are missing the mark as a parent. Oh, Miki, that's heavy. Yeah, but 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 it but it's true. But it's true. 888-589-8840. Will the Great, where do we go? All right, let's go to Barb in Iowa. Hi, Barb. Hi. Hello. So I love that you um, were able to read and, and listen to some of what Governor Reynolds said. She is an amazing governor. Um, and we do have some great schools in Iowa, but we, just like other states, have some not-so-great ones. I think mm-hmm. this is awesome. I'm, I'm wondering what we will hear from the other side about <laughs> how they will fight this, because... <laughs> The yeah. truth is we also have some parents that, although they may want to homeschool their children, they're not equipped. And I, and I understand you don't necessarily have to be equipped, but just I was a single parent, and I raised mm-hmm. my children by myself, and I could not have homeschooled, even though that is what I wanted, and that mm-hmm. was my intention when I had children, but their father had a different idea. Mm. So I ended up being a single mom, and I raised my children, and we fortunately live in a school district that is an amazing school district. Mm-hmm. But it is still a public school district. But mm-hmm. we have local school districts that aren't so great, and there are families that should have the chance to bring their kids to this school. Yeah. Um, you know, I will, I I will say it, this. It's wonderful. Barb, thank you so much. I really appreciate you bringing in, um, because I think that's a point that you can't overlook, that you have different obstacles to homeschooling that we cannot ignore. I will say this to you, and I, I, I bet just based on hearing your comments here, I bet that if you had a community of believers who surrounded you when you were raising your kids as a, as a single mom, 
who were able to support you not only with the tools, but with the help, the tangible on hand, hands on help so that you could educate your kids at home. I bet you would have done it. I bet you would have done it. So it's not just having the policies in place. It's also having the community in place. And I'm talking about mm. the body of Christ here Amen. where we are able to do those things that glorify God. We have been we look, we've got righteous desires here. We've got to be looking to the Lord. Look, we have a friend, Israel Wayne. He was raised by a single mom with a third grade education, I want to say, or maybe eighth grade, eighth grade education. And she homeschooled them. So it can be done, but the desire has got to be strong enough that we go toward that. Maybe a little bit more on this another time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.